Hey, heroes. Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers. Those folks are the ones that are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA, Next Generation Advanced. With reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG91 solutions, I am wicked confident that they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it's affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Welcome to my friend, James Lockerbie. How are you, friend? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am. I'm amazing. So I'm really excited to have you here. We briefly chatted back in April during the National Public Safety Telecommunicator Week celebration that I did with NGA, Next Generation Advance, my premier sponsor. Uh, Jeremy and I hosted a really fun event. I actually just got finished mailing out all of the prizes. It was a lot. I I didn't anticipate (laughs) the shenanigans that that piece of it was going to bring, but we brought you on because we acknowledged your efforts in the work you're doing for the telecommunicator reclassification. But we will talk about that in just a few minutes. But first, I want to introduce you officially. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to you real quick. If you could just introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us what agency you're with, what is your position, how long you've been doing what you're doing, and we'll start there. All right. Well, I'm uh, James Lockerbie from the Agar Township Police Communications uh, Center. We're located in South Jersey. If you ever look on a map in New Jersey, you see the Atlantic City Expressway and the Garden State Parkway. Where they intersect, there's a, about a 64 square mile uh, circle you could draw around that. And that would be <laughs> that would be the area that I work in doing now on communications since November of 1995. I'm a frontline dispatcher where I spent my entire career. Awesome. So I started in 1996. So you're still there and oh. we're not that far off. I mean, I only, I only caught the last two months of, of 95 to be, you know, hundred <laughs> percent. All right. So, so, so we had, we had similar careers, you know, and you were there. What, what got you into being a 911 telecommunicator, where where did where did the thought come up? Did you have family history? What 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 brought you here? So my older brother Rob, pretty much where he went, I went, and uh, he had a couple friends uh, from the neighborhood that were police explorers. Yeah. And so, you know, I saw him being dropped off by the police officer in the Explorer car. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. So 
I got in as early as I possibly could. I attended my first Explorer meeting in March of 89, which was at the police department in the briefing room, which is now our 911 dispatch center. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Yeah. So I was doing the Explorer thing and I graduated high school and, you know, like a lot of dispatchers uh, back in the day was, oh, be a dispatcher, you know, so you would, you know, as a foot in the door kind of thing. I guess I got trapped by the bear claw and I haven't been able to get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was similar. So I've mentioned on a few shows that I too was going to be a police officer. And yeah, I didn't, I got my foot in the door as a telecommunicator, but then realized really quickly that I, I did not want to be out on the road uh, seeing what those folks did. And, and I always joke that if somebody was going to pay me to talk for a living, that was that was where I, I really needed needed to be. So yeah, so so you're you're still a frontline telecommunicator. I will tell you that the out of all the jobs that I had, my favorite was being was being a frontline telecommunicator. I was actually thinking about it the other day. I don't know what brought it up. Well, actually, I know what brought it up. My daughter graduated from the Massachusetts Call Volunteer Firefighting Academy. The first trainer that I had was there. And, and I was super excited to see him and, and just, you know, say, hey, thanks for, for building my foundation as a 911 telecommunicator. And it just, it brought back a lot of, a lot of memories. So what, going back to 1996, 1997, what's a, what's a fond memory that you have about starting as a 911 telecommunicator? Well, I was, I went straight to midnights, you know, so uh, it was like, you know, get through training, then, you know, go to midnights. One of the things was as new tra trainees came in uh, and came up onto the midnight shift, uh, I would kind of guide them and, and teach them uh, what I just learned myself, pretty much. Um, yeah. And and if you and if you watch the, watching the old now one um, William Shatner show, uh, Rescue Now One, yeah. um, I can say that I could say that I used to have to change the wheels at midnight. The, the uh, <laughs> yeah. wheel to wheel recorder. <laughs> yes, and I learned very quickly that if you said something stupid, you had to like cut and splice and tape back. Can you imagine today? Like I've I've been watching the Johnny Depp trial, and like they literally peel back every single layer of every single thing that every single person does. And I just think back to that moment. Can you imagine if that stuff was called to the carpet? Well, and, and, and it was cool is you only had to sweat it for 30 days because yeah. then you would retape over, you know, after, you know, 31, if it's a third, you know, 31 month. Yeah. But, and the, um, and the, the good yeah. part was, is that it took a lot of work to play it back. <laughs> well, so I, I don't, you know, I, I know there was a couple of cassettes made of some of my stuff. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have it. It would be pretty awesome. Cassettes. I mean, um, we still say we still say that, you know, I, I still hear folks say, oh, well, I make the tapes for court. <laughs> we don't make tapes anymore. <laughs> yeah. Nobody makes tapes anymore. <laughs> no. CDs and, and they're then they're digital now. So it lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, it literally went it literally went from, you know, the reel to reel, the tape recorder that you plugged into the machine. And like, I remember taking the tape and putting it in a sealed envelope and giving it to one of my officers to bring to bring to court. Then it went to the CDs, then it went to the flash drives and, and then it was it was all digital. So crazy, crazy. Oh, yeah. And, and just to think of like I was at the very tail end of like the like the original G G uh, console, like the horseshoe console with 
little buttons that you push uh, to, to see what we're using now. It's like, wow, what a, it's, what a transformation. It's crazy. It is. It is crazy. Well, one of the things that I want to talk to you about, and I'm sure so many folks talk to you about it. So one of the things that I am not, uh, let's just say, I don't, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but I don't love politics. Like I, I'm one of those folks. I just, I just don't love it. I don't understand it. I don't spend a whole lot of time entrenched in it. Uh, but I do know that the Massachusetts Communications Supervisors Association, which is an organization that's near and dear to my heart, I was I was a part of it for for many years. Uh, probably not long after I took over in 2003, that was one of the first places that I I found support uh, in the in the job as a as a chief dispatcher. But I know that early on we started working on getting our telecommunicators reclassified into a different group uh, because right now the group for retirement that telecommunicators is in it says we can't we can't retire till we're 65 and i i don't know you know how many folks want to be or should be doing this this job at 65 so i know that we started a huge push to get folks reclassified some some agencies did it on their own uh some of us were working on it as a group we were trying to get re uh, representatives and support uh, through legislation to get that change made. And then before we knew it, it was becoming a nationwide effort. Can you tell me how you got your start in fighting for reclassification for telecommunicators? Because I will tell you, you are out there, you are known, your face, your name, uh, folks are cheering you. I'm cheering you on. I can't do what you do, but I'm cheering you on. Where did you get your start is, hey, this is something I really want to sink my teeth into and move forward. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I didn't want to bring us all down during National Telecommunicator Week, but um, I, I kind of alluded to some a personal issue that had me down. I mean, just and just the cumulative stress of the years of, of doing what we do. I started looking at different 911 stuff on the Internet to try to look for change focus of what I was focusing on. I lost my brother um, August of 25 of 2013 um, unexpectedly. You know, I was just looking for something to change, change my focus. And um, that's where I saw like Ricardo and some and, and a little bit of APCO stuff that are talking about the classification. And, and I, um, you know, found out about Norma Torres's bill. And, and at that point, that's when I was like, wait, I need I need to get involved with this uh, because, again, like like the, the representative says, you know, we're not secretaries. Right. <laughs> the, the things that we do, the things that we hear, you know, it's not secretarial work. And uh, I mean, I was saying it all my career because uh, I keep talking about how, you know, as uh, storms approach the coast and stuff, is we're we're being reminded like, hey, you got to show up. You know, you can't you can't not show up. But then when different other things happen, it's like, oh well, you know, you're a secretary, you're you're, you're a civilian, or you're you know, you're not really a first responder. You know, and and that conflict was really um, bothering me for quite some time. And so between those two things, uh, once I you know caught wind of the reclassification, you know, that I was like, I'm all in. I want to, I want to be a part of this. I want to try to um, get involved. I started to find uh, the dispatchers as part of first responders Facebook page, uh, which was um, Jim Brown and, and a group of West Virginia dispatchers. They formed, they, they created that Facebook page to kind of communicate and talk and strategize how to get 
uh, a bill in at the state level in West Virginia. And then I started posting a bunch of stuff that, that I thought was um, moving the conversation forward and to the point where they invited me on to be a part of that as an admin. I would also create a Twitter account to follow soccer. Cause I think my brother Rob and I, we played soccer all of our lives. So yeah. I started following soccer and also started using that to tweet about the Nile and Sazak and about reclassification. And that's when I found that New Jersey in 2021, I had found that New Jersey had a bill in the process. Actually, 2020, I'm sorry. So I started tweeting about that. And, and then uh, Assemblyman John Armato DM'd me, uh, sent me a direct message saying, hey, you know, I'm going to need someone to, to help me with this and testify on, on his behalf. Would you mind doing that? And I was like, wow. sure. <laughs> so, how did, how did yeah, you feel so- when you got that DM? Because you're just, because I, I can imagine how you're feeling. So first of all, I just want to say sorry for your loss. It sounds like you're really close to your brother. So I want to, you know, say I'm sorry for that. Um, but how did you feel when, when you got DM'd by somebody who could potentially help make this happen? Well, you know, it's funny. You, you just you're you're constantly throwing stuff out, and you don't know who's seeing it. Uh, so then, when you get the DM from the the guy who wrote the bill himself, it's kind of like, whoa, oh, wow, his people are seeing this, <laughs> right, so right. Me, you know, and and so we started a conversation. And I you know, started co- uh, email correspondence with one of his staff members. It was supposed to happen in February, but some type of delay delay occurred. It got rescheduled to March. And then right before I was about to go to do the testifying, that's when COVID struck. Damn it. Damn COVID. COVID. Ruined so so much. (laughs) So, so I testified via Zoom and I submitted a written statement. And then I thought being that it would be testifying Zoom and live, I, I wrote a shorter bit. And then, so I read that they all seemed to be very impressed and, and just seemed like they were going to vote yes anyway, without my testimony, but, but it was good to, to, you know, have that experience and share and share my, my thoughts with them. And they, they appreciated it and they voted yes. So it went to the floor and about uh, two weeks later it passed on in the assembly and then it gets assigned to the Senate, um, New Jersey Senate. Uh, and that's where it was um, placed in the same committee same type committee, uh, but in the Senate and it was sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. So our sessions are two years long and they take like the summer off. So it came the fall and I was like, wow, this is starting to get close where it might run out of time. So I figured out who the chairwoman of the Senate committee was called theirs and they said, yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk to her or whatever. Then I emailed her, you know, again, I was preparing myself to go to the New Jersey Nina conference uh, in November I was like, you know, let me check the New Jersey legislative website. Uh, and I did. And there it was. It was scheduled for another hearing uh, for uh, that Monday. So I went to the New Jersey NINA conference, the opening ceremonies, got in my car, drove up to New Jersey uh, State Capitol in Trenton, and I testified on front of the committee there. And that was a really cool experience. That's amazing. And and like I said, I know that a bunch of our folks from the MCSA went down and um, went to D.C. and and talked on behalf of of the national level stuff. So I I can't imagine what it feels like to be able to speak in front of the folks that can push these things forward. And I just want to say thank you for doing that first on behalf of New Jersey. Uh, but also you, you did get to go down to DC. Was it this year or last year that you went down to DC? Yeah. So that was supposed to happen in February of this year. 
but it got pushed back to March of this year because that spike in COVID kind of thing. Well, oh know, yeah, yeah, and, and and also I think that there was a little issue of uh, only one house out of the two was in session in the original time period. So I don't know if that had any play in it at all. But between those two things, like it got pushed back to March. My two senators didn't really. Uh, well, I never had an opportunity to speak to the two senators while I was down in D.C. But I got eleven out of the twelve House of Representatives, the members of the House. About six of those were done virtually, which I thought was funny. I know <laughs> I you're there. <laughs> you're there. I was paying for a hotel it. for like four nights and then go and attending the conference, and I was doing a lot of the, con- the conversations with the uh, staff members via Zoom from my hotel room. <laughs> uh, I but, saw a, I saw a few folks doing that. And I just, I, I was like, oh, I think, uh, you know, I mean, the experience going, you know, with your colleagues from across the country is, is second to none, but I hope that you, you got to at least enjoy time with, with folks, you know, from, from all over, you guys are all making a huge impact and, and, and I'm a little jealous that that's just one area that I'm not, I'm not well-versed in. So again, I'm, I'm behind the scenes cheering, cheering you guys on. If you could tell one person, so the person that's sitting there that wants to get involved with pushing the 911 Saves Act and, and like, where, where would they get started? How, how should they get started and in getting involved with this? I mean, I know they could probably reach out to you uh, personally as well, but what would, what would be the first step that you would recommend to them? All right. Well, if there are members of APCO or NINA or both, as many of us are, you know, look out for a pro chart committee um, or, you know, talk to your other uh, members of your, your uh, chapter. And then what I like to do is uh, go to congress.gov where you can look up the districts and the Congress, uh, members of Congress and the senators, uh, all their contact information's there. So you, you go to their website and you can fill out a contact form to try to set, schedule a uh, meeting. I think you're more out to get a meeting with someone like a staffer or, or even the, the member of Congress themselves if you have more than a few people. Yep. Uh, you know, so because it's all about numbers, right? And they, they want to actually feel like they're, you know, giving attention to more people. They're not, they're less out to spend their time with one guy. Yeah. <laughs> I got, yeah. you know, I got lucky to, to get, not, I don't know about lucky, but I, I, I worked a lot of emails and whatnot to secure the, the virtual meetings. And, and I did have um, three or four in-person meetings down in DC which was really cool because the one guy, you know, he was, there was something going on in the office. So he took me down into the basement of the building and it's all like connected. All the buildings are all like connected down. And so we had a, a uh, meeting in the cafeteria underneath the street level. Oh, uh, that's cool. You know, so that was kind of neat experience. And, and then, um, you know, my local congressman, he, he was out, but I, I met in his office with a staffer. So to be in the, the, those buildings, uh, how innate they are uh, and, and, you know, the history behind them, I'm a huge history buff as well as a dispatcher and a soccer fan. Those are like my three things, history, soccer, and, and 911. So, so to be in those buildings and, and, and to, to be around that, I just, I loved it. It was great. And, and I'm, and I'm learning a lot, a lot as well. So if you don't know much about it, you know, you kind of hit the ground running and, and you start, you know, you start crawling and work yourself up to, to being comfortable. And a lot of what I do is just talk from my experience. You know, you, you can't do all war stories. So you do have to have like a background as to why we're doing it and, right. and, and the need for it. But then, you know, they also want to hear your experience and to hear it from somebody that they know 
it's genuine because, you know, they can see it in your passion as you're explaining what it is that we do. I think sometimes, you know, even the folks that we work with, you know, I, I lost a friend. I lost a, a friend on Facebook. He's probably, I probably didn't lose him as a friend, but uh, he, he defriended me on social media because I made the statement one time about telecommunicators being the first first responders. And he is, is a firefighter in another town close to me. And he kind of came onto the page and, and was, was less than supportive, I guess, and didn't quite understand, you know, where I was coming from. And I just, I never had the opportunity to have that conversation, but I do think it's important that we are advocating for the understanding that that 911 telecommunicator, you know, the person that's answering the calls in that frontline connection to the field responders, right? So when I refer to first responders, I always, it always includes the telecommunicator. I'll differentiate between, you know, the field responders, the ones that are physically going there. But I think there's a piece that folks don't always make the connection is that is that we do see, and I say we because I'm, I'm still I'm still a telecommunicator at heart, and I and I still suffer from some of the the ramifications of the job. But we do see what happens. We are, you know, at times we may not physically be there, but we're we're visually and mentally and audibly there as well. And and my good friend Carol from Virginia, Hanover County in Virginia, made a statement in one of my classes that I share often is is that a 911 telecommunicator their ears have seen things that their brain will never forget. And I think sometimes folks don't understand the magnitude of the audible piece of it, where our brain just kind of sees what's happening. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it's worse than what it is. But I do give you a lot of credit for, for standing up there and fighting for what's right. Yeah. No, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that because I, I know when I first started out, like on Twitter and, and doing different things on Facebook, trying to trying to fight for the reclassification, there were quite a bit of um, individuals uh, from the out- other side, you know, the, the personnel out on the street that are like, give me a break and stuff. Um, and you don't actually go, you're not actually there. So then I quickly educated them. I was fortunate enough to, if I move my, well, this is an audio, but you'll see my life-saving award there back there and the red and white pin. Uh, I took a picture of that and posted it and was like, well, you know, others, you may feel this way, but others agree with me. I was given the life-saving award for saving an infant that was choking in the backseat of a car uh, because I told his mom that, you know, if she keeps driving to the hospital, it's not going to be a good outcome that she has to stop pull the car over and we can start helping them right here and right. I'll send you more help. So after a lot of that, and, and then just a whole lot of, of a lot of other individuals doing that as well, I, I see that uh, there's a, there's a lot fewer of those type of individuals that say, no, you don't, you know, you're not a responder uh, because they're, they're fine. You know, we're educating. One of my slogans, I'm, I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to actually like really sit down and do something with it, but something that's been like, dancing around in my head is we have mastered our public safety communications voices, but we need to now exercise our legislative voices. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're so right. And, you know, I, I think it comes down to the, the semantics between the word responder, right? Like is the issue because a responder means like one who responds physically, like, is that, is that in the definition or is that where, where the hangup is. Cause I'm sure we could come up with another word that will, no, I think will I, encompass it. Like it just drives me crazy that, 
that the folks that we protect, the folks that are on the other side, and this is not to knock any of those folks, and, and many will listen, but there are folks out there that are not listening. And I hope that if they are listening, that they understand that we're just because we're looking for the validation that we're part of the link in the public safety, it doesn't take away from, from them. Oh, absolutely. Right? You know, during police week, I was saying, you know, um, on Twitter, mostly, you know, my heart goes out in addition to the families and the officers, uh, you know, that we remember today uh, or this week. I have my heart also goes out to those emergency communications officers that were working yeah. during, and, and were there with their fellow first responders during their last call. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and it's so hard because I mean, think think of um, the New York City emergency communications officers, the fire alarm dispatcher for New York City police and um, NYFD, which on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, their state, their governor signed the bill to reclassify them and, and, and recognize them as first. Um, but think back that they had to listen to individuals that they knew that were not going to get out of that building. And right. they were doing, and, and how often, you know, throughout government and, 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 and industries that do different things, you know, there's always like a set standard to what has always happened. And then something happens that you now have to adjust and change your tactics because, you know, something occurred that never, ever occurred before. Right. So, you know, every high rise fire to that point was if you're, if you're above the fire, stay where you are, let the fire department extinguish the, you know, the fire, put the put the building safe, render the building safe, and then they'll guide you out. Uh, you know, so that's what they were telling them. You know, they had no clue that what was going to happen happened. How do you fight? Like, you know, hey, don't forget me when when 343 guys lost their lives. Right. So like, it's very hard to say, hey, what about us? You know, but but yet at the same time, yeah, we still should say, what about us? Because- right. You know, we are there, we, you know, I mean, there's a New York City fire dispatch. He lost 86 guys that he knew personally that day. Wow. And and he worked the radio. He worked, you know, he worked the scene and he, you know, and he was sending them down to the, to, to handle that call. And yeah. so imagine, imagine that burden. And, 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 well, and it, it, and it is it is a burden. And there's a lot of folks that don't understand the magnitude of that burden and the guilt and the, you know, is there anything I could have done? Should I have done this differently? And that sits inside your head. And I talk about it in some of my classes, how, you know, there was a situation that came back to me like seven years later, seven. Mm -hmm. I, and it wasn't even it was just a similar call. It wasn't the same call. It was a similar call. And it was just one sentence. And it was, you know, it just opens up that Pandora's box. And sometimes we don't understand the magnitude of opening Pandora's box. You know, I had somebody say to me, uh, my good friend, Bill, that I used to work with at Rapid SOS. And he asked me during one of my sessions, he would always support me, you know, when I would teach my PTSD session. And he said to me one time after, he says, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if there's something wrong with me because I'm not experiencing what others are experiencing. Like, I don't feel like I have PTSD. I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel the same things. And I said, well, this isn't like the Oprah Winfrey gift show, you know, people that come to my side, it's not like you got PTSD, you got PTSD. Uh, yeah. but, but what I explained to him is, is that there's a couple of things at play here is that if you're not experiencing those symptoms, if you're not struggling, you either haven't hit that place 
where Pandora's box got opened and it can happen in a millisecond, believe me, like one, one moment and everything changes. Uh, but you, maybe you have good support systems. Maybe you don't have a history of risk factors. There are things that folks don't even realize are, are risk factors, you know, history of, of child abuse, neglect, drug use, family members that have mental illness. Like there are so many different risk factors that I love when folks tell me that they're good, that they're truly good. And they're not just both, you know, BSing, that they're truly good. Uh, But just if you're listening to me and you're curious, like, why isn't this affecting me in the ways that I'm hearing it? It's affecting others is that we're all different. And we all have support and we all have, you know, our risk factors or we don't have risk factors and we know how to take care of ourselves. Maybe you have a good exercise routine, you eat well, you sleep well. Uh, and then there's the rest of us that that don't always do that for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And then we're riding the struggle bus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, again, cumulative stuff, um, you know, one particular event could, it's a combination of of uh, all of that, or, or you've just been fortunate that, uh, you know, like you said, good habits, like a good mindset and, and just taking care of yourself, getting you know, enough sleep. Maybe you don't say yes to every overtime shift. So maybe you actually got enough sleep in your system that, uh, you know, you didn't put, you didn't allow yourself to get into such a rut that, um, you know, that when that one call does come in that, you know, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I would just say if you're not feeling it and you are healthy and everything in your life is good, then just be thankful. Yeah. Yeah. Just be thankful. Just, just, don't, don't question if you're nuts or not. Just, no, or, or, no, just be just, just be thankful. Just be great. You know, that you're blessed. You know, yeah. I mean, I didn't want it and I don't, I don't necessarily think I even thought I had it. Right. But then, but then when educate, you know, when I you start learning about things, I mean, I, I've mentioned, shared it with other places, but what happened with me was, again, I think I was already, I know I was already experiencing, you know, what, but just going through life or whatever. And then, but then my brother's passing and then what had occurred, you know, it was, it was kind of like a bit too much. And then, and then, uh, so a certain type of calls would come in and I would get, start to get mad at the individuals calling. And then that's when I realized like, this ain't cool. It's not cool to them because they deserve a happy, healthy, you know, person Experience. on the other end that, that they're so, so would you say that you were no longer the voice of reason? You were the voice of resentment? Yeah, well, no, and, and not at them, but like at, at, at you know, kind of like what, deflection or whatever, or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, def- deflecting my, my anger at, at, at somebody else onto them <laughs> yeah. or whatever, you know, like, and so, you know, I went and I, 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 I well, a coworker of mine, uh, he, he said, Hey, you know, let's, let's see if we take this like self-assessment post-traumatic stress. And, uh, I was like 30 for 30. He would, he, he was like nine for 30. And I was like, did well, he, did he, me. did he do that knowing that you were struggling and that was his way of kind of opening the door to have that conversation with you? I think some people may have been talking about that and like, they kind of like, yo, you two are like, cool. Why don't you try this and see what, how, yeah. he rea- how he reacts or whatever. Yeah. I, I think that may have been the case. So he, you know, he, he sat down, we, we did that. And I was just like, oh, you know, you just haven't been doing it long enough. We, you know, wait another 10 years and you'll be 30 for 30 like me. It goes, no, I don't want to go beyond. No, this isn't a contest, James. It's not a contest. We're not like, yes, you two can get here. Don't worry. That's not, no, that's not how we roll. We want to avoid this. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've learned a lot since. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, uh, you know, asked if I would like to participate in like the employee assistant program or whatever. And I was like, you know, yes, you know, and how many people unfortunately may, you know, may find themselves in that spot and turn it down or whatever. I, I'm just thankful that I was like, you know what? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, and, and I'm grateful to, to my former coworker. He's, he's since moved on to a new position, but I'm grateful that he did that. And, I'm, and if he, if he was encouraged to do that, I appreciate whoever encouraged him because it set me on a path you know I, I went to the, my first counselor and basically was saying like look instead of thinking of your brother when these kind of calls come in think of the families like think of basically like think of yourself <laughs> and that yeah. you want to try to work to spare the person you're speaking to their family the kind of pain and suffering that you've been going through wow what a way to look now. at it and, and it's amazing that somebody could just say like don't look at the tails of the coin, look at the heads of the coin. Right. And and the complete transformation as, and, and re, you know, of, uh, again, that's how I reacted. Maybe not others, but, you know, I took that and was like, duh. Right. <laughs> like, why wasn't I doing that from the beginning? You know, like, you know, and, and so someone just pointing that simple turn to heads over and look at the tails of the coin and and when you're on the phone with those kind of calls you're you're now trying to prevent the, another jimmy from losing his brother yeah well and, and uh, i think that's you know i i'm i'm always a firm believer well i i'm not going to say always i wasn't always that way but i've i've just learned so much and and tried to adopt a healthier mindset i'm not always there uh, I am the carpenter whose house is not finished. I'm the plumber with a leaky faucet. Like I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't always do it. The, you know, these last couple of days have been tough. And then, you know, we've, we've had some tragic news come out of, out of Texas. Uh, they, it just triggers a lot of, of hurt. And, you know, sometimes we don't always know how to handle it. And, I think sometimes those that are closest to us are the ones that that take the brunt. But then on the flip side, when you're walking into work and just even something that's familiar or similar comes in, uh, it, it can cause us to act in, in a less than favorable ways. How many times have you seen a call in the news where it starts off with dispatcher botched, dispatcher makes a mistake, you know, dispatch 911 dispatcher does this and it's negative, negative, negative. Never do they talk about all the amazing things that telecommunicators do. But when we hear some of these calls, the first question is, oh my God, how could they do that? How many of us could, could do that at any moment? Oh yeah, no, I mean, it's, that that's where all the mental health and wellness uh, conversation uh, that, that, and talking like like you do uh, here on, on your on your podcast. That's why it's so important because why it was so horrible that we never talked about it before. <laughs> you know, it, it's because you can easily get there if you allow yourself to overwork over. You know, you know, just just you're constantly one call after another, and and the, the overtime amounts and, and this that and the other, and next thing you know, you could. You know, the, the wrong call comes at the wrong minute and you could be that dispatcher if you're yeah. not taking care of yourself, if you're not, you know, taking breaks, uh, saying saying no every once in a while to an overtime shift or, you know, going out and doing stuff, stuff with your family, do, taking care of yourself, getting the right sleep, you know, seeking help. You know, if you're always irritable and this, that and the other, you recognize a certain type of call that bothers you. Like that's a red flag, you know, like yeah. that's time for you to go seek help. And, and, you know, I said, I went and saw a counselor, I guess what 
I didn't just go see one. I, I went to three. Okay. Yeah. So I did some time with the one. I thought I was getting better. And then like something else kind of happened. So I went to another one that was kind of helpful, but not really. So I was like, yeah, no, not dealing with this. So then, you know, the third guy is uh, who really helped me, you know, so if, if you are con- thinking about going, like, there's no thing that you have to go to the first one and like, see it till you're healthy, you know, right. you can, you can shop around, you know, like, or, or, or just go until you don't feel comfortable or don't feel like you're gaining anything. When you determine that for yourself, then, you know, look to see, you know, uh, if, if another individual may be better for. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you said that because I know that I went through a slew of, of mental health professionals. There were a few that were really valuable in the time that I saw them. Uh, there was one that was really valuable and then he no longer took my insurance and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pay out of pocket to go. So I was really disappointed there. So I was looking for another one and it took after... I went to him. It took several going through several to, to find the right person. And it wasn't, you know, until I decided to pull the tool out of the toolbox uh, for EMDR, which is something that I talk about often, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, where I had to find the person that did that locally. Uh, Jim Marshall from the 9-1 Training Institute had told me about it or told our class about it in the end of 2016, but I was at a place in my center where I was, I was either going to leave or I was going to the CCM class, comm center manager class through Fitch and Associates to reignite that smoldering flame before it went out. And so I heard about EMDR, but I didn't have the bandwidth to comprehend it or understand it. To me, it sounded like magic, which it is. And then when I got to a place where I was, I was really struggling and having a lot of dark thoughts and, you know, not, not feeling myself. I, I went on to psychologytoday.com. I put in the filter for my address and EMDR and PTSD and trauma. And I found the, the girl that I'm going to now. And I've been with her for over four years. I've probably done hundred EMDR sessions. Uh, and I will forever be grateful for finding the right therapist and the right treatment that is going to help me. Not everything works on the first try for folks. Did you do any type of, of treatment or was yours just talk therapy? Talk therapy, um, a lot of talk therapy. You know, I, I heard about it, but I, I, I uh, the EM, e, DM, uh, sorry. EMDR. That's okay. Yes, EMDR. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get it wrong, but I, I have no. heard of it. I, no worries. You know, I just, um, uh, and I think I'm at the point now where I don't necessarily think I need that. I'm, I'm not discouraging anyone from trying it. I actually kind of feel like I missed out or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. I'll tell you, it is like, it's like hocus pocus. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I mean? Uh, just, just uh, like, like you said, though, I mean, I, I just think if you, if you go to a mechanic and you realize the mechanics, you know, your car seems to be worse off than, than when, it, when, when you drove it in, you, would you keep going to that mechanic? <laughs> no, you should feel, you should feel better when you leave. And the other thing too, is, you know, sometimes you just have to get it off your chest, whatever it is. And, but sometimes you need somebody to talk back to you and give you tools and resources. And what I have found is that right off the bat, if I was speaking to somebody and I was just talking the entire time and then I left and they really didn't contribute, they were just you know listening and taking notes, that was not conducive to me. Even though I like to talk, it was not something that worked well for me. Where I was successful was where I had the therapist that was able to get me to look at things a little bit differently, get me to feel things a little bit 
differently. Like that was not, you know, even if, if it was something simple as, nope, what was said, it wasn't to you, you know, look at it this way. And it's like, oh, okay. There are different ways that you can, you can look at things and be, you know, have a different mindset. And sometimes they, they point out things that you didn't even see what, what that was there. So yeah. it really is important in, in finding, finding the right, the right place. So I think, I do think it's beneficial that you had that experience. And I always say, always like, like I will, I will thank God every day for what I've been through, because if I didn't go through those things, I would not be here sitting here talking to you and hopefully helping others in their journey to, to a better mental place. And you would not be where you are helping folks get the classification and the justification for what they do and, and hopefully be able to not have to do this job till they're 65, 75 years old to get an, a, an appropriate retirement. Yeah. I mean, at the national level, it really, it won't bring out about any kind of like retirement situation. It really is just about like the, the types of questions that they ask about our careers, but the way I like to, and so like, you know, cause I just want to say that cause there's certain individuals from like both organizations that really want to stress that it's not about retirement, right. but the way I see it is it kind of is in the long term because and again, it's something that you want to try to avoid during talkings because that's might be scaring your representatives because it's all about the money. But although they can throw money at other, you know, responders, but <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, you know, oh, you need a million dollars for a fire truck? Okay, here you go, you know. But yeah. you know, but and and I can see where it's a matter of being careful about retirement. I know here in Massachusetts oh. that the actual the the 911 telecommunicators at one point were in the right job classification and so it, while at a national level it may not have an effect there are places where it could help folks be able to re- retire at an earlier age so I get that it isn't the push for it, but an added bonus and benefit is, is if we can get our folks to be able to retire and enjoy, you know, the later years of their life, just a little bit longer without having to work, that would be super helpful. Well, the way I see it, because I just remembered, thank you, you're right. And, and, but what I was trying to say was in a long about way it kind of is about retirement because the police and fire they retire after 20 25 years right and and they say because of you know the following hazards and the following risks and stuff and why why do they know that they, the, those careers have those risks because they've been in the correct category yes. of protective service for the last 50 years or yes. more. Yep. And so, so that data is there to show that they in fact deserve the earlier retirement. We've been stuck in the wrong classification for the last 50 years. Yeah. We've been glorified secretaries since February of 68 when 9 was created. And so there's no numbers there to say, Hey, you know, Jim's right. He should be able to do 25 and out because he might not be on scene, but he hears it. He may not be on scene, but he is, you know, dealing with the stress of getting the officers to the scene. And if he screws up, he's got to live with that the rest of his life yeah. or, or not even just screwing up. Just, just, I did everything right. And things just didn't end the way we all wanted it to end. You know, right. the house is still there and no one's got hurt and people are all living. You know, I mean, like I used to joke, cause we have an Atlantic, the Atlantic city airport is within our Georgia. You know, they have their own fire department or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, an, an air 
an airline that I won't disclose when they were babies, they bought like all the retiring planes uh, from around the country and parked them here. And every other week we were getting like alert twos, almost three, you know, so, uh, you know, two is really close. Three is boom. <laughs> so, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, and there was a time where I was like, if one of these things goes and it's actual boom, the next day I'm done, you know, because you, you figure, you know, that's a full plane full of people. That's a big like, one. I'm out. Yeah. Right. So, but the problem is like, I realized now after doing this thing for 26 years, 20, almost 27 years, whatever, uh, I filled up a couple planes, but it's, a, it's, it's, so is it the faucet that's full turned or a freaking faucet at a drip? Yep. Yeah. You know? You're right. <laughs> so, so because, because the faucet's at a drip, I can do this forever. No, you know? <laughs> no. Right? no, no, you know, no, you know, but, but like if it, if it all came out pouring out of a five gallon bucket at once, Oh, you, you, whoa, you can't do this forever. You should, you need to retire, you know, like, but, but it's because it's at a slow, a trickle of water, you know, at one death at a time over 25 years. Oh, yeah. oh you, you, you can do this to your 50. <laughs> yeah. you know? So, so, so the changing of our, pro, of our classification to protective service, once they start asking the right questions about our career, yes. then maybe those numbers will be there. To, so when we do say we deserve to retire, you know, after about 25 years, 30 years of doing this, uh, you know, the, 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 the government will look and say, Oh, Hey, crap now ever since we've been asking the right questions he's right <laughs> yeah now now we now we can see now we can yeah. see clearly so it kind of is about retirement but you know but and, it's and not, it, yes you know? and and i and i see i see what you know others may fear but you know, when we look at the numbers that are actually retiring out of this profession, they are not high numbers. They're not high numbers. We don't, we don't always make it, you know, to the finish line. You know, I look at, I look at myself and I honestly thought that where I was going to be when I retired was, was in that 911 center and, and things change, right. And mental health issues caused me to have to leave a piece of the profession that I loved. I'm, I'm saving lives in a very different way now, but nonetheless, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work that you're doing. And unfortunately we have to wrap up, but I just want to truly say thank you for all of the work that you're doing for reclassification for our telecommunicators. I know you're not doing this alone. I know that I'll have other folks on that are, you know, are championing the cause, but I just want to let you know that I really appreciate what you're doing. And, and that is why you are recognized with the saving lives on both sides of the call award this last April. So Keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I really do enjoy the award. And and uh, you're right. There's lots of other people, you know, uh, working on this. So the more the merrier. So, you know, please get involved, uh, get, involved. Get, get involved, get involved. That's right. <laughs> Call your senator, call your representative and uh, make your point. All right, my friend. Thank you. You have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week. And I will be in touch soon. Thank you. Welcome back, heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on all On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA, Next Generation Advance. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.